open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. On the count of three, I want everybody under the age of 12 to say, I'm over here. Three, two, one. I see you, I see you, I see you people. This is what I want you to do. I want you to listen really closely and I want you to either write down a sentence or draw a picture that your parents are going to text or email me at the end of the service. I cannot wait to see what you find and what you draw. I want to see it at the end of this service. Today is a wonderful day. We've been in this series called We Are Family. It's kind of like family day in church. We've got our families with us here in the congregation and I've told you that what we're doing today is a very special day. Today, we are remembering this church. Now, when I say remember, I don't mean don't forget. What I mean is we are elevating the privilege and the responsibility of church membership. How many of you are members of Gospel City Church? Where are the members? I see you, I see you, I see you. Today, I'm trusting many of you will remember. And uh, if you're not a member, today's not the day that you become a member, but you might want to say, I would like to pre-member. And so kind of jump on the front end of uh, getting on the highway here of Gospel City Church. And so I've told you at the end of this service, one of the things that we're going to do is we are going to declare nine different commitments just saying, this is what this is what a privilege it is and what a responsibility it is to be a member of this church. As you came in today, you should have received a card. Pull out the card. Everybody get the card. Got that? I, this should not have been the first time you see these things. We've emailed these things to you. I've shown them to you in the last two weeks at church. And so uh, there's a little review. And you'll notice at the bottom is a place for your name and your signature. So at the end of the service, I'm going to walk you through um, just a process of responding to the Lord in um, putting your name on that line there. Now, now, let me just say a few things here, okay? So why are we doing this? One of the reasons we're doing this is because for the last 18 months, everything in the culture and everything in the media has tried to convince you church is non-essential. And this is a way for our elders to invite you to say, we believe this church is essential to my discipleship and my surrender to Jesus Christ. It's also a way for you to declare, I believe I'm essential to my church. And everything in the culture is going to try to convince you otherwise. So we live in a day of church shopping and live streaming and consumer-oriented church. And today we're gonna declare that we believe that the future of this church is dependent on members who are committed to the family, no matter how messy church is and no matter how disappointing church may be. We are followers of Jesus Christ. He is the head of this church. And part of our discipleship is embracing the privilege and responsibility of church. So at the end of this service, I'm going to ask you to sign that card after we spend some time praying over it. I'm going to invite you to actually bring the card as families from wherever you are to some baskets that we'll have up here on the stage. And just, it's just, it's just your way of saying, I, this is my church. I'm essential to my church. My church is essential to me. That's what we're going to do. Now, I know that some people are reluctant to do this. As a matter of fact, some of you have been so bold to tell us. I don't really understand why I need to do that. I have 
gone through the membership class. I've signed on the dotted line. I've had an elder interview. So why do I need to do that again? Listen, I can appreciate that. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was shopping for a used car and I went to a local dealership and I saw a car that I was, I was interested in. I asked if I could test drive it. I like the car. And then there comes that moment where you have to sit down with the guy and negotiate the price, right? And so I said, how much? And he said, he, he took out a piece of paper. He slid it across the table to me. And he said, if you'll just sign on the, the bottom of this paper, then I will go and talk to my manager and we'll fill in the numbers. Like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm not putting my name on anything until you fill in what I'm committing myself to, okay? What we as elders have tried to do is fill in all of the boxes for you through these nine commitments. Our, I didn't write these commitments. Our elders did this, and we have haggled over words. We've even changed some of the words this week. And so those are reflected on the card there. And what you're saying is, okay, you guys have been up front with me. I'm going to be up front with you. This is what the kind of church I want to be a part of, and this is what you can expect as a member. Um, and again, you still may be reluctant. You still may not want to sign. Um, maybe that's because of a lack of clarity on my part, and I just haven't explained this well enough. Maybe it's because of a lack of trust on your part. You're in this church because things didn't go well in the last church, and you were disappointed in the way things there, and so it's kind of hard for you to trust when people are saying commit and responsibility. I mean, you like the word privilege. It's the word responsibility you may have a little struggle with. And so I get that. Um, maybe there's a lack of certainty about where this church is going. Like, you, know, you said you're not... Um, I, I, do you understand I get the irony of what I'm asking you to do? I'm asking you to the church and two weeks ago it's like, I'm out, peace out, see you. That's, that's, not, that's not at all the attitude, but I get the irony in all that, okay? I want you to know as long as I'm here, I am committed, I am surrendered to this church and I'm going to sign the card. So I get the, the uncertainty, I understand all that. Um, listen, you're not committing to me, you're not committing to Justin, you're not committing to Micah, you're not committing to elders. Look around. Put your head on a swivel. That's who you're committing yourself to. We're family. The church is a confessional community. Do you understand that? The word confess in the Bible means to speak the same. What we're saying is we speak the same thing around here. Church is not a place where we go. Church is a people to whom we belong. And when we make confessional statements to one another, what we're saying is we believe the same thing. Each one of these commitments is a way of saying, here's what you can expect from me. I'm, I'm expecting that from you. And um, if, if you're still reluctant, I mean, we would love to sit down. If you think one of these things is unbiblical, like let's sit down, open our Bibles, and let's reason together. Um, some of you say, well, I've done this before. Um, is that what you say every time we serve communion? Like, I've done that before. I don't need to do that. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples the night before he was crucified? He said, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus assumes you forget your commitments. And so he instituted an ordinance to cause us to remember. And that's all we're doing here today. Some of you say, well, um, I'm already a member what if I still don't want to sign? Am I not a member anymore? No, you're still a member. You're just a member who didn't remember. I don't even know what that means, but 
we're not going to like track you down. Sign the card, sign the card. We're not going to shame you. We're not going to use this as a club over you. You're a member. We understand some of you, some of you, I'm not even talking to right now because you're not in the room and you're not going to be able to sign the card. You can sign it later. I don't know. But listen, for those of you that are not yet members, signing the card doesn't make you a member. You could pre-member and jump on the membership train and we'll get you through the membership class and all the things that are necessary. And then others of you say, well, I'm not ready to sign it. Can I still come to church? Absolutely, relax. We'll, you may not be family. We'll treat you as friends. You're friends of the family, okay? So we, we're, everybody's gonna be okay, all right? So this morning, I want to remind you. I want you to remember who you are. So many Christians are living in fear. They're defeated. They feel like the world is just on fire. And it's like, what's going to happen to us? Listen, it's because you have forgotten who you are. So I want to remind you as the church, who you are this morning from God's Word. So I'm going to ask my buddy Cy to come up here and help me a little bit. And uh, you got your Bible open? Got your Bible open to 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, we're going to help you. Cy and I are going to help you remember who you are here this morning. So 1 Peter chapter 2. Oh, I forgot to get Cy a mic. Can somebody give me a mic? I, forget a, I forgot to tell. Thank you, Mike. Uh, all right, he can use my, mine here until you grab one of those here. Um, Cy, how old are you? I am 12. 12. What do you want to be when you grow up? Um, preacher. Just say preacher. Preacher. Okay, good. That's all I wanted to hear you say. All right. That's good. Well, this is your first shot here, okay? All right, so here we go. Uh, this is 1 Peter chapter 2. There you go. And um, I'm going to read verse 4. He's going to read verse 5, and then we're going to go back and forth. You follow him along? Get your eyes on the page. Here's what God's Word says to the church remember who you are. 1 Peter 2, 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, for it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Thanks a lot. You want to give him a hand? Did pretty good. 
keep that up, you'll be in the pulpit one day soon. Si? So I want to remind you of six things that God says you are as a church. Now let me say, he's not saying you are these things individually. He's saying you are these things collectively when you assemble as the church. The first thing he says is that we are living stones God is using to build his house. Do you see it there in verse five? He says, you are a living stone rejected by men, but chosen and precious in the sight of God. Now remember who's writing this. What's the title of the book? Who's who's the dude writing this? Kids, who's writing this? Peter, do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, Peter, you're a rock. And then Peter turns around and calls you one too. Don't you love coming to Gospel City Church? You might hear any, on any given Sunday, you're a stick or you're a rock, right? And so this is what Jesus uses to build his church. He uses sticks and stones to build a spiritual house. The trouble in the church is there's too many Mick Jagger Christians. They're rolling stones. Some of you of a certain generation will get that. Others of you like, I Google, Google, Mick Jagger, Rolling Stone. I don't get it. All right. And this, that's the reason why you can't get no satisfaction too. So the <laughs> stones are not meant to roll. Stones are meant to come together. And when you take one stone and you connect it to another stone and keep doing that, pretty soon you can build a wall. You take that wall, you connect it with another wall, you put a house on top of it, what, you put a roof on top of it, what do you get? You get a spiritual house. That's what the church is. And it's the place where God finds his dwelling place among his people. Now, we said last week, God is everywhere present at the same time, but there's something special that happens when the stones come together, when the assembly takes place. That's why you should never, ever, ever miss an opportunity to come together with the other stones of the church. We're a spiritual house, and it it says that we bring spiritual sacrifices. This is reflections of Old Testament. The temple was the spiritual house, and you had to bring animal sacrifices. Aren't you glad you didn't have to bring your dog to church this morning and sacrifice him to the Lord? That, that was the Old Testament, okay? In the New Testament, we bring spiritual sacrifices to God, like our worship, like our surrender, our obedience, our repentance, our humility, our mission, our time, our money. God, these are spiritual sacrifices because you are here and I'm connected and I need this place and I need your presence so bad. And notice um, it it goes on, verses uh, six through eight talks about the fact that Jesus is the cornerstone. You are not the cornerstone, you're a stone. Jesus is the cornerstone upon which all the other stones are built upon. And the Bible says that a lot of people trip over the cornerstone. If you're coming into the house and you trip over the threshold and you fall flat on your face, it's kind of hard to get in the house. Here's the deal, you cannot come into the spiritual community, the spiritual house of God, if you're tripping over Jesus. You have to build your life on Jesus as the chief cornerstone. That's what the church is built on. Not only are you living stones, number two, we are a family set apart by God's choice. Look at verse nine. He says, you're a chosen race. Isn't that great? See the word race there? Um, The Greek word behind that word race is the word genos. It's where we get our word generations from. 
As a matter of fact, other translations actually use the word generations. Um, the King James Version translates it, you're a chosen generation. And in, in Acts, three different times, that word, geno, that word genos is translated family. It's the understanding that before I ever came into Christ, I had ancestors that were in Christ. The church existed before I got here. The church will exist after I got here. Wasn't it great to see the next generation on the stage here? That's the future of the church. Generation after generation, chosen by God, precious and treasured. God didn't just create you. He selected you. That means you have value and worth. Number three, we are priests with royal bloodlines. This is crazy. Look at this. It says in verse 9 there, notice it says not only are you a chosen race, but you're a royal priesthood. Now, I want to talk to everybody over the age of 12, and, and I specifically want to talk to the ladies in the room. How many of you always wanted to be a Disney princess? Raise your hand if you've always wanted to be. I mean, you know, Cinderella. Now, those of you that are under the age of 18, um, Anna and Elsa, and actually I Googled it, and they're not actually considered real Disney princess. Anyway, I'm telling you all that because that desire to be a prince or a princess is God-given. Hopefully, you aspire to something greater than being a Disney princess. Do you understand if you are a son or a daughter of the king, what does that make you? It makes you prince or princesses. There's something royal about being in God's family. You come from royal bloodlines. And that means that when you interact with another member of the body of Christ, you are interacting with a son or a daughter of the king, a prince or a princess. Be careful how you treat the princes and the princesses in God's family. We come from a royal bloodline. Now, notice it uses the word priesthood. This is incredible. Again, you have to have some understanding of the Old Testament. That's why we read through the Bible verse by verse. In the Old Testament, these priests acted as mediators between a holy God and a sinful man. And it, they were kind of temporary gap fillers until Jesus came as the, the true and the better final high priest for all. We don't need priests anymore in the church. Jesus gave the final sacrifice. He is the final mediator between God and man. But notice he says, the church is a royal priesthood. Do you know what that means? Because we have access to God, and we know people who don't have access to God, do you know what we do? We stand in the gap. We take hold of God with one hand, and we take hold of our pagan neighbors and friends that need access to God, and we in prayer pull with all of our might to mediate the distance, to fill in the gap. That's what a royal priesthood does. That's what the people do. Now listen, individually, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. You don't need a mediator. Jesus is your high priest, right? But we stand and represent God to the nations of the world. As a matter of fact, it goes all the way back to the second book of the Bible. Notice what God said about 
his people on earth. Do you know what your job is? Your job is to be a priesthood for the peoples of the world. Notice Exodus 19 verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. All the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's what Peter had in mind when he was writing this. He was remembering that verse from from Exodus. And so now those of us that are in the family of God, we represent God to the nations through the gospel that we proclaim, we say you can have access to God. We're a royal priesthood. Number four, it says that we are a holy nation. We are a nation with holy boundaries. When we think about nations of the world, we think about geopolitical boundaries. We think about kings and kingdoms or presidents or prime ministers. Listen, do you know that God considers the church its own nation, a holy nation? We are a holy nation living within the geopolitical borders of an unholy nation? You know, I don't know about you, when I was a kid, I grew up every day, I don't know if it was every day, but in school, did, how many of you in elementary school, you stood at the beginning of the day, put your hand over your heart, there was a flag in front of you, and you pledged allegiance to the flag? Did, did they do that anymore? Is that still constitutional? Did, did they do that? Okay, good. And, and there's that phrase in there, one nation under God. You really want to know what the true nation, the holy nation is under God? It's the church. And God establishes us within the geopolitical borders of the nations of the world. Nations come and go. This holy nation, the church, existed before America. It'll exist after America. And here we are in this nation as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation. I hope that you have a higher allegiance to the holy nation than you have to the unholy nation that we live in. We have a holy God. We read a holy Bible. We're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We have a holy message. And we are commanded to live holy lives in the midst of a people that's increasingly unholy. Number five, we are a people treasured beyond our worth. Notice it says, a people for his own possession. See, if, if I was being really strict in the wording of the point, I would say we are a possessed people. But that just doesn't fly good in the culture. It's like, you're possessed with what? Like, no, God possesses us. He owns us. He bought us with a price that we should proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you're God's people because you received mercy, it says. Now, possession implies four things. Value, ownership, protection, and purpose. I have value. The people of, of this world are not gonna tell you you're valuable. They'll tell you you're ugly, you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, and you will get the sense that I have less value because I don't measure up. You know what God says about you? Your value is not based on what you do. 
Your value is not based on what you do for God. Your value is based on what God has done for you. And he bought you. He purchased you with a price. You are his precious possession. It implies ownership. We no longer belong to the world. We belong to God. No one can make a claim of ownership on me. I'm owned by God. We no longer belong to ourselves. My body belongs to God. My mind belongs to God. My hands belong to God. My time belongs to God. He bought it. My money belongs to God. He owns it all. It also implies protection. God protects and secures what he owns. We have no reason to fear anything. God is our protector. Stop living in fear like you're vulnerable. Stop exhausting yourself trying to protect yourself and be safe. God is my protector. I'm owned by him. And it implies purpose. We're purchased for a purpose. That purpose is to proclaim his excellencies in the world. I don't know about you, things that I'm The things that I own are things that I use. God wants to use you. That's why he purchased you, to proclaim his excellencies in the world. And notice it says that we have received mercy. I think that's so intentional wording. It doesn't say God has shown mercy. It says we have received mercy. Listen, mercy is something that has to be received. God has abundant mercy, no matter what you've done, no matter how sinful you are, no matter how much you've ignored him. God has mercy, but you have to admit you need mercy. And so many people will not humble themselves to admit that they need to be an object of God's mercy. Mercy is something that needs to be received. That's what makes you God's people. Last thing, number six. We are exiles living in a place we don't belong. Verse 11, beloved, and I don't want to race past that word. You are loved. Don't get up and leave. That's not like that's that'll come later. But he's telling you, Peter's telling you, you as the church, this royal priesthood, this holy nation, this treasured people, you are loved, beloved. I urge you. There's a sense of urgency in his voice. As sojourners and exiles. Those are those are hard words to translate. It, but I love those words. The word sojourner. The New American Standard Bible translates that word alien. You ever seen any alien movies? Like aliens invade? Like something from another world shows up and makes a claim on the world? That's what you are. You're an alien. You're a sojourner. The NIV translates it foreigners. The King James and the Christian Standard Bible translates the word stranger. You're, a, you're strange in this world. I love that. Do you ever feel like you're strange? Do people ever call you strange? Man, you're weird. 
stuff you believe. You like believe in this invisible God and like this ancient book and you read it like it's like some kind of a holy thing and God, you claim that God speaks to you and like that's super strange. Listen, I believe that's our mandate that we are supposed to keep Christianity strange. Don't make it fit in with everything else. Sometimes I go to places like Austin, Texas or, or Colorado and you see these bumper stickers, you know, keep Austin strange. I think we ought to create a, a, a bumper sticker for everybody at Gospel City Church. Gospel City Church, keeping Christianity strange since 2009. Don't you think anybody, can somebody design that? Let's just stick them all over. Like, let's keep Christianity, let's just be weird. The world can't figure us out. They don't understand us. We have different worldview. We handle our money differently. We raise our kids differently. We use a different language. Like, we're not living for ourselves. We're living for others. We're strangers. And then the next word there, the, the word exile. The word exile is one of the most important words that you have to brace if you're going to understand what it means to be the church in the world. To be an exile means to be a pilgrim. We're pilgrim people. An exile is someone who has experienced prolonged separation from their homeland. Like the people in the Old Testament. God's people had sinned, Babylon invades, they carry them out of their land into exile. And for 70 years, they're waiting for God to deliver them. And that's the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. And they were in exile. And you know what? This world is trying to assimilate you. This, this world is trying to eat you, absorb you, so that you'll be like everybody else. Exiles understand we don't belong here. These people they're not my people. Maybe one of the most vivid examples of that is if you've watched the news this week, you see people in Afghanistan, either Americans or friends of America, and they recognize we don't belong here. And they are waiting to be delivered. They're waiting to be airlifted out because the culture around them is so hostile. Do you understand the same is true for us? You should expect the culture around you to be hostile because they think you're so strange and we are just simply waiting on the airlift. Take me home. As exiles, we should not expect love from the natives around us. Increasingly, this world, in this world, God's people are strange people with strange beliefs and strange behaviors. As strangers and exiles, we're living in a place we don't belong. We don't speak the language. We don't use the currency. We don't fit in the culture. We're often misunderstood or mistreated. We are the minority now. We don't have home-filled advantage anymore. Understand as exiles, we shouldn't expect to be understood we will be misunderstood by people that don't understand us. And as exiles, we shouldn't expect to be treated well. At best, we'll be marginalized. At worst, we'll be exterminated. As exiles, our worldview is distinct. It's a minority view. As exiles, our sexual ethic will be viewed as repressive and hateful. As exiles, our passions for Jesus will be viewed as either fanatical or extreme. And listen, if you are not willing 
to live as a minority, if you are not willing to live as an exile, then the desire for comfort and the desire for safety will cause you to lose your distinction as a Christian. And you will be absorbed, you will be eaten by this world. If you want to be accepted, if you want to be appreciated, and if your highest desire is to be approved, you're not going to be able to survive as a Christian in this world. We'll lose you because the cost will be too great. So, without a resolve to live as an exile, you'll be slowly absorbed and assimilated in this world. This world wants to eradicate you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be treated like they treated Jesus. So, we have to live like we're just passing through. I'm, I'm, it's just, we're just here for a short time, not, not staying long. We have, to, we have to travel light. So many Christians get tripped up because they, they collect all the souvenirs. You ever go on vacation and you buy all the cheap souvenirs? Like you got your snow globe and you got your pen and your postcard and all that stuff. And then you don't have enough room for, in your luggage when you go back home. Like that's what too many Christians, you're so attached to little trinkets and souvenirs in here, you get your mind off why we're here in the first place. So you, we should expect to experience regular homesickness for heaven. That's why that song that Michael wrote is so great. My attention is on heaven. Not what's going on down here, but what's going on up there. Exiles don't make peace with their passions. Notice here, it says that we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against our soul. And people talk about the culture war. Like, yeah, okay, there's a culture war. You know what the real war is? It's not out there. It's the war going on in here. Because I have fleshly passions for the stuff of this world that are at war against my passions for Jesus, the passions of my soul, the flesh and the spirit, the flesh and the soul are at war with one another. Those are my residual appetites that crave satisfaction from sensual pleasures in this world. It's my remaining fallenness and bent away from God. That's what the flesh is. And so I, I have to give attention to the things of my spirit, the things of my soul. These passions aren't a bad thing. Passion needs to be bent toward God and you be passionate about the things that are eternal and lasting. And if not, those things will eat me up. Here's the last thing. Exiles let their conduct speak louder than their accusers. Exiles let their conduct speak louder than their accusers. Look at verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Where Gentiles is a metaphor there for worldlings, unbelievers, people outside of Christ and outside of the church. Our conduct should be so distinct that we make Jesus look irresistible to people no matter how many accusations they hurl at us. Do you see what he says? They're going to call you evildoers. Seriously? Like, like, we're trying to do the most and the best for the most people and for God, and yet they're going to make accusations against us. How do you overcome that? You don't shout back at them. Notice it says, let them see your good deeds and they will glorify God on the day of visitation. Our lives are to be marked by good attitudes, good marriages, good parenting, 
good kids, good money management, good churches that practice what they preach. Is that the kind of church you want to be a part of? That's the kind of church that we're trying to build around here. You see up here on the platform some representative members of Gospel City Church. And one by one, they're going to read these commitments. I'd like us all to stand right now. And as they read them, they're going to begin with this phrase. They're going to say, because I'm part of God's family, when they say that, let's all respond together and read the commitment together. Let's start with KJ. Because I am part of God's family, I will submit, submit to, to the, the teaching, teaching and authority of Scripture and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because we are part of God's family, I will pursue the Lord Jesus Christ through consistent participation in the spiritual disciplines. Because I am a part of God's family, I will consistently participate whenever the body gathers for worship, fellowship, and prayer. Because I am a part of God's family, I will participate in the ordinances of believers' baptism and the Lord's Supper. Because I am a part of God's family, I will steward the resources God has given me to edify the church, such as time, talents, spiritual gifts, and finances. Because I am part of God's family, I will welcome and submit to the loving leadership and care of the elders and pastors. Because we are a part of God's family, I will live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Such conduct includes the spirit-empowered pursuit of personal holiness, confession, and repentance of sin, relational harmony, church unity, and evangelism. Because I am a part of God's family, I will love, serve, minister to, and be personally invested in the holiness and spiritual health of fellow covenant members of the church. Because I am part of God's family, I will respect the process of church discipline and restoration. So Lord, by your grace, you've heard our voices and yet we know that our hearts are so weak and we'll be tempted by our flesh that is at war against our soul to lag behind. God, would you help us to remember the price that you paid, the blood that was shed, that allows us to be a part of your family. Thank you as Father that you've chosen us. Thank you, Jesus, as our brother, that we have an inheritance with you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you teach us and guide us into all truth. God, this is your church. It's a privilege to be a part of it. God, would you empower us by your spirit to live in a way that's consistent with the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.